Welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast, your fast-paced podcast for Formula One news and analysis. Throughout the Formula One season, we will be recapping every race as well as breaking down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race on the Formula One schedule. Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you have just discovered the rush of racing, this podcast has something for you. Okay, here we go. And welcome back to another episode of the Pit Stop Podcast, presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Back again here with Jordan and Tyler. Tyler, I uh, I would say the race uh, in Melbourne, also known as the Australian Grand Prix, uh, it, it wasn't overly exciting, but qualifying had all the stuff, pulled all the stops. There was... Uh, there was there was nonsense going on. Where where do we even start in qualifying? What were the things that stood up for you, buddy? Um, well, yeah, you're right. The race overall was not the most exciting race we've seen over the last three or four years or so. Like um, so far, it's been kind of a, it was a generic race for what's happened so far this season, which has been very exciting. Um, qualifying was pretty amazing. Uh, we saw different things. Alex Aubon, uh coming last place in um, qualifying because he was failed to provide a fuel sample and then finished 10th to me was the highlight of this race um, with Williams getting their first points of the year, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like again, another thing that stood out to me in qualifying was Nicholas Latifi. How, how are you still finding yourself in positions like the one you were where you completely destroyed your car. Yeah. I mean, we have to talk about Latifi and, and it's, I want to, I want to lump in stroll in this a bizarre crash and qualifying between yes. Aston Martin's Williams car. Latifi slowing down to give a stroll position, seeing that stroll was, he wasn't accelerating or something. And the Latifi kind of taking back the inside line and then just completely taking out strolls car with stroll, not even knowing he was there. How many races do either of these drivers have left in F1? Like it, I know with Stroll, his daddy owns the team, but he is costing them severe money every single time they crash those cars. And Latifi, the exact same. You're not wrong. And Jordan, jump in here if, if I'm wrong, but like, like Stroll has the benefit that Vettel hasn't had a great start to the year because of COVID and he didn't do well yesterday either. Uh, or sorry, uh, on Saturday night either. But Latifi... Stroll's dad owns the, the the Stroll's not going anywhere. His dad owns the team, but Latifi's father only gives money to Williams. He has money in McLaren, but he only kind of donates money to Williams and Williams with their new um, ownership. They want to win. And right now Latifi is not helping them do that. So I think his uh, hot seat per se is a lot hotter than what it would be with Stroll. But it was a really weird crash. Like I don't understand. Like Latifi let him pass, let Stroll pass, and then tried to pass him again on the very next turn. It made no sense at all for that crash to happen. Yeah, I think I think you kind of buried the lead, Braden. Uh, but you were right when you said that qualifying may have outshone the actual race when it came to the dramatics. Frankly, the whole weekend leading up to qualifying was dramatic. I think every single car for every single team at one point had a spin or ended up in the gravel. A lot of them obviously recovering um, without too much damage, but it proved that even with the changes to this new circuit in Melbourne uh, at Albert Park, which we haven't seen in a few years due to COVID, 
they've definitely made it competitive. These new cars are challenged by it. And we knew going into qualifying, we were going to get some fireworks. And that's definitely what we got. You're right. I think both Nicholas Latifi and Lance Stroll bear some responsibility for what was just an absolutely boneheaded incident where both drivers made very strange and very poor choices. It was weird when you watched it from sort of watched it back in, in, in slow motion over the replays, which is always tricky because this is such a fast sport. It's hard when you slow it down to really understand what they must have been thinking at full speed. But Latifi looked like he was giving the right of way as he was on clearly a prep prep lap for for a flying lap and and then all of a sudden moments later stroll looked like he was trying to yield the position and it was a weird position on the track to do that to begin with but latifi tried to take an inside line and then stroll just sort of dove for the corner and again like both drivers you look at it and you go like i don't know what they were thinking i don't know what either of them were thinking clearly they weren't and they made a huge and very costly um, incident for both their teams. And as Tyler says, Nicholas Satifi, I think at this point, has he, has he not yet finished a race weekend without totaling a one, one car? Like yeah. he crashed at, at Bahrain in, in qualifying. He crashed during the race at Jeddah. He crashed here in qualifying. I mean, each one of these is several millions of dollars worth of damage to a car that's already under a severe cap. We're under the new, you know, uh, budget cap. I was explaining this to a newer F1 fan this weekend, $140 million is the cap for spending per team this season. That does not include the driver's salaries, which is capped at 30 million, unless you choose to take a penalty on your overall cap, which you can do certain teams, including Red Bull have done that, but $140 million sounds like a lot of money until you think about the fact we're talking about formula one. This is not a lot of money spread over 23 races, the longest season we've ever had. And you have to continually spend money rebuilding cars. That's going to add up real quick. And if I was running Williams, I would start to be having very difficult conversations about whether or not Nicholas Latifi is worth the price of admission at this point. Well, yeah, not if he's going to continue at the rate he's at. He's costing them more money than he is getting them in sponsorship. And it's, it's a sad thing for Canadians because our two drivers are there because they, they, you can make an argument that, yes, anyone who's in F1 has to have the ability to be a driver. But the fact that the two guys that Canada has are their parents are the reason that they're there is not a great look if they're consistently not having great outcomes. Uh, so speaking of consistency, let's talk about our new P1 driver uh, this season, Charles Leclerc has now finished first in the last three races. Uh, yeah. I bet Ferrari's yeah. feeling quite relieved that this kid who they paid handsomely is winning Grand Prix and consistently. Consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you go back a couple years and we knew right away when he took the seat uh, over there at Ferrari that he was something special. He was winning Grand Prix right away. And then obviously Ferrari went through a, you know, a, a really difficult rebuild retool restructuring however you want to put it where they they kind of stripped everything down to to the the struts and then rebuilt and here they are with the most competitive car they've had probably in a decade Um, both drivers are showing that these cars have great potential they've figured a lot of the problems that some of these other teams are struggling with in the new regulations out very quickly um Although that being said, we saw a lot of porpoising from the Ferrari that we did not see in the first two races. This a lot, quite a lot. Yes, a, li- a dangerous amount. 
Yeah. But that being said, the pace is still there and they are, it's a blistering pace at that. Charles Leclerc made this race look absolutely pedestrian, easy as a drive down the Melbourne countryside would have been alone in a, you know, in another Ferrari, uh, a road Ferrari. He really, really never looked like he was under a lot of pressure, even after one of the reset restarts where Max had an opportunity to come at him. He just had the pace to take him, take, take away uh, any, any chance of Max grabbing that lead. And he never looked back. Uh, he's by far and away the, you know, obviously he's leading by a substantial margin after three races, but if he continues at this pace for the next, you know, month or two, this championship could be wrapped up real quick for him. And, and, and in the kind of way Lewis Hamilton was doing five years ago, um, I don't want to get that ahead of ourselves. Cause there's a lot of racing to happen we got but a, a so long, far. He hasn't put a foot wrong. Season. You know what I mean? He has not put a foot wrong, even losing um, the last race previously, he still was pushing max right to the end. And that's exactly what a championship contender has to do every single race. And, to be fair, you have to finish. Last episode, I said, watch out for Mercedes because they sometimes take six or seven races to figure this out. But it is hard to not think that this is Leclerc's season to lose. This is right now he has set himself in a position with Ferrari where he is the favorite and he will be the favorite from every race on now until the end of the season. So it's kind of his to lose at this point. Um, but there's not, it's still not a far enough gap to, cause you got to watch out for George Russell. Still, you got to watch out for his teammate, Carlos signs and always, always the Michael Jordan of the sport. You have to watch out for Lewis Hamilton because now he's an underdog and he's also the best of all time. So it's, and they've put it like, this was kind of a race. It wasn't a very exciting race, but it was a race that we've all been waiting where Mercedes has kind of, okay, they finished fourth and or third and fourth. So they're, they've found the pace and McLaren has found the pace at fifth and sixth. And even so much so that the team uh, had a little bit of a power uh, problem where they told Ricardo not to pass um, uh, Lando Norris. Lando Norris was having some type of engine problem that they couldn't figure out. And Ricardo was behind him and they said, don't pass him. Don't get anywhere near him because at some point his engine might just fail. But the two of them got across the line at five and six. And it's, it's, it wasn't a great race. Like stylistically, it wasn't a great race thrilling at all, but it showed us some things that these teams are getting back into it, but you're still, no one is close to Charlotte Claire. Uh, so yeah, an exponential jump in standings for McLaren. Jordan, is this have they sorted things out? Do we see McLaren in this range the next race? Um, I think so. I, I think we have seen a steady progression. They certainly struggled out of the gate. They were uh, much like um, several of the other teams that were fitted with the Mercedes engine, struggling even as far back as Barcelona in the very first testing kind of shakedown. They just hadn't quite figured out these new cars. They were struggling a lot with porpoising. All of the problems that we've seen other teams deal with, they just seem to take them a little bit longer to get over that. Um, and then obviously I think Ricardo getting COVID didn't help, much like um, Vettel. It seems to be a difficult uh, sport to recover from COVID and jump right back into. Um, I think a lot of factors have gone into McLaren's slow start. This was a great, great result for them. As Tyler said, finishing that high up, 
two weeks ago looked almost impossible for them. And here they, they really did make it look um, like the, the McLaren uh, we came to expect last year, a team pushing for the, the top five, six positions on the, po- uh, on the timing charts every week uh, and, and hopefully pushing for some podiums. I really do think we will see McLaren continue to take big steps. Both McLaren and Mercedes have not actually put uh, almost any major upgrades onto their car. Um, they're just continuing to work on uh, the engines that they have in place and also sort of setup changes. So when we get back to racing in Europe here in a couple of weeks, we're going to start to see teams start to implement some major upgrades, I think, to their aero packages and things. McLaren will be among them. That's when we'll really know if they're ready to to, to turn the corner. But it was great to see. Awesome for Ricardo to be at home. He, he always loves, obviously, racing in Australia. And I sure that, I'm sure that it was extra special after, uh, as we say, the extended break and not being able to race there for a couple of years. The crowd was very engaged with the McLaren team. And Lando put on a good show as well. Drove really well, even with the struggles that his car had. Uh, and again, at this point in the season, half the battle is getting these cars across the line at the end, just reliability-wise. And if you can get yeah. that first step done then you actually get to look at how do we get faster and how do we get better? And that's where they are. That's great. Yeah. And with Red Bull, like, so Verstappen has only finished one of the three races, I think now. Yeah, and one Perez has finished two. So yeah. So Verstappen went DNF first DNF. Whereas yeah. Perez is DNF, but then he's finished the next two races. He finished second on Saturday. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it, it's a telling sign that the cars are still being figured out. It's not a thing to do with the drivers. Yeah. It's that these guys are figuring out the cars. And, and it seems like not so much the engine, but the fuel system is what's the issue is this year. I think it's a little bit of everything, honestly. Like, I think every team is having slightly different issues with different parts of it. And that's the reality of new regulations, right? Some teams are going to mm-hmm. have got a bit further ahead developmentally in certain places. Um, and obviously the Red Bulls have struggled both with their engine and now with fuel. But, you know, I love Christian Horner trying to defend their engine because um, it's obviously the first time we've seen a Red Bull designed engine a powertrain in their vehicle. Uh, he defended it saying, no, 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 this wasn't an engine failure. This was a fuel. I'm sorry. What the fuck is a fuel used for? <laughs> <laughs> isn't fuel and engine kind of like like eggs and bacon like they kind of go together here yeah and so obviously sure the engine may not have failed you may have had a, a fuel line issue or something but come on let's now we're kind of splitting hairs you're clearly having issues with some fundamental parts of your car that you need 100%. to figure out and 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 i'm sure that there is a lot of um very very frantic work going on um for for the red bull team back at at headquarters to figure out exactly how to how to nail this down because you also can imagine a defending champion like verstappen who is an incredible competitor is going to start to get very frustrated if things like this continue to happen because it's out of his control and you can imagine that's where you as a driver when you've done everything right and you haven't put a foot wrong and you've kept the car on the road and then they just keep telling you you got to shut it down because it's not safe to drive that gets frustrating real fast and you can you can imagine verstappen as like someone who's now in his prime like just be getting into his prime where he's just won his first championship um, and he's all he wants is he kind of didn't win it like like not everyone believes that he deserved it. So he wants <laughs> to win another one. This again? No, 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 no. <laughs> but I'm saying that if you're if you're 
if you're Verstappen, you got to go, why are we not begging Honda to be back with us for another five years? Because yeah. I get that Red Bull wants to make their own engine. And I understand that they brought the leaders of uh, Honda over to Red Bull to make it. But I was trying to tell uh, my buddy tonight, I was saying, it's like, just because you bring over the owners and the heads of the department doesn't mean that everything from the waiting staff to the servers and to the cooks from down below that line is a new person that's trying to figure something else out, trying to help out where they can. So it's, you're going to have those issues until it's figured out. So someone like Verstappen, who's like, Hey, we just won. Why the hell are we not going to Honda and being like, you don't have to give us as much money. We, you, we are winning with your engine. Let's figure this out for two more years, just because we want to continue winning until we've figured out this formula, this system, this engine that you have. This formula for number one. Is that what you're trying to say? That's what I'm trying to say. Formula to number one. Number one. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's in their control, right? That's, yeah. that's ultimately a decision that that team made. Something not in the control of the Mercedes team was an unfortunate caution uh, that a yellow flag that took uh, all positioning away from uh, Lewis Hamilton. That's just, it's unfortunate. It was like lap 50 or something, or uh, 40, I think. There was 18 laps to go left. A yellow flag, Lewis Hamilton gets, he puts on tires and then the yellow flag happens. Yeah. And then everyone else yeah. is on. It's yeah, just, again, it's unfor- back to back weeks, back to back weeks where weeks where we have seen Lewis unfortunately uh, suffer um, just ill luck. You know what I mean? And, and, and honestly, again, much like Verstappen, when you are a top competitor and things out of your control continue to yeah. um, cost you you know, position cost you points, all those things. It gets frustrating, but I think Lewis is a, is, has, has done this enough that he knows. And he said it a lot last year and we saw the results of, of this mentality. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, I think we were all very quick 20 minutes ago to talk about how great Charles Leclerc's championship is going to be, but Lewis Hamilton knows this is a very long season. And I think the patience and the experience he has is going to do him wonders. I think this result, even though, when Mercedes looks at it, their number one driver finished fourth and probably should have been third and on the podium based on where he was before that incident from Mercedes perspective. Yes. Yeah. This is the best result they could possibly have hoped for three or three, four is phenomenal, much like they were kind of gifted a result um, in the very first race. Uh, Their, their result though here is a little extra sweet because they need George Russell to learn what it feels like to get this kind of success. And so that he continues to be motivated through the difficult things. Cause he, unlike Lewis hasn't yet tasted the victories that Lewis has. And so I think his patient level will be a little bit shorter. Um, if, if Mercedes continues to sort of have a slow start. So to get a little bit of the success, look, you got on the podium. Now you've each been on the podium. Here we go. We're working as a team. Let's get through that. That's important development and growth for, for, you know, the second driver at Mercedes too. And, and a great result for him, you know, he, he struggled or struggled with the pace a little bit. It was frustrating, obviously, when he was told to let Perez go past him because of the concern about his tires. And yet look at how great a strategic choice that was because had he, mm-hmm. had he instead taken that fight there, lost the advantage of his tires, he may not have been able to hold on to that position that was then gifted to him with a podium when Verstappen's car failed, right? Yeah. So sometimes the, the roundabout way gets you the best result. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see that happen with 
these drivers in the middle of the race talking to their principals where they're just like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And the, the person on the radio is very calm, just going, you have to trust us. You have to trust. We have all this info. We have seven screens of information in front of us. Yeah. You just have to trust us. And to talk about Mercedes right now, Mercedes. So George Russell is second in the, the driver standings and Hamilton is fifth. And you've got to think that like that they have to be happy about that. Considering that they were coming into the season going, the car is not where it needs to be. The car is probably seven to eight races away from competing for first. The fact that they're second and fifth right now, they've got to be kind of sitting there. Like we're, we're like, we are in a good spot right now. We are, we have not fallen down to that seven, eight spot. We are in pouncing place. All you need is Leclerc to finish or not finish one or two races, which will, will happen. It's every year, a guy who is in first place, Hamilton has DNF'd every year, at least once. So it's, it's one of those, like, it's going to happen. You just kind of have to be patient. It's early in the year, only three races into a 23 year race. But at the same time, like you look at Ferrari and you're like, they're fucking good. Like they're good. That car is perfect. So two things there. Let's also not discredit the fact that even with their struggles, Mercedes is second in the driver's stand, or pardon me, in the constructor's Constructors, stand. Yes. They're 10 100%. points up on Red Bull because Red Bull has yet to have both drivers finish more than once, which is phenomenal. Obviously, yeah. Ferrari is far and away in the lead that way, but for Mercedes to already be in second place when they are clearly the third fastest or fourth fastest car consistently out there, that's awesome. Um, I love that you also brought up how uh, exciting the radio calls were during this race. That is a, something I think that is underrated in this sport. When you yes. think about other sports out there, obviously occasionally hear the radio calls in like the NFL post game, like a week later, the NFL films or whatever will release like a compilation of the mic'd up players and stuff. And it's always exciting, but it's not in the moment. And there, and F1 does a really good job. And obviously it's curated. They make very clear choices as to what they do and don't disclose on, on the, on the broadcast. Um, but it's really an, an element to the sport that I think as the fan base grows and grows and obviously this is a huge part of the story we've talked about all year and it will continue to be the growth of the sport in north america this is another sort of wrinkle in that that i think keeps new fans engaged because you feel like you're getting a little bit of insider information you're learning about what the drivers and their engineers are talking about as you say sometimes the principals are on there talking directly to the drivers there's all kinds of strategy calls that if you know if you're paying attention to the the sort of the full the full narrative of of over the course of a race they all add up i would also offer to people just as a you know we we're trying to encourage new fans to fall in love with the sport too all the time both in person and through this podcast um, this was one of the first races this season, just because of the timing of it being at like 10 PM local here mm-hmm. that I watched live. I've been PVRing a lot of races cause it's hard to get up at six o'clock in the morning. You know, when you have an opportunity to sleep in on a Sunday, you watch yeah. it PVR. But if you watch these races live and you download the, the F1 app, you yes. can pull up timing charts live and they play way more radio calls live over the app so you can you know you, you if you mute the commentary thing because i think they play like the radio broadcast at the same time you mute the commentary leave on the radio calls put it down on the table in front of you while you're watching the race live you've got crofty commentating you're getting some of the radio calls on the tv broadcast and then you're getting all these supplemental ones built in that just come in as extra audio calls you can see the timing mm-hmm. charts it's really a great way to experience and learn the sport because you're getting all of this great information and it's fun because again you know you you 
we don't we just we just don't get it in other sports and i wish we did a little bit more because i think it would help fans really feel like they were inside the minds of the, of the athletes that they're they're enjoying you know what i mean well and especially I love if you, they like you, those athletes more than the sport there's some people that like the oh, Tom yeah. Brady's more than they like football. There's some people that like the Lewis Hamilton's more than they like the sport. So you yeah. can, you're right with the F1 app, F1 TV app. You can just watch one driver and all his radio calls if you want for, yeah. for an hour and a half, which is, is I think, I'm trying to think of another sport where you can do that. I think this is the only sport where you can do that live. Yeah, I, I'm sure there, there there probably is some kind of like premium content for certain sports where there might be like an ISO cam or something, but it is, it's very rare. And I, I think it definitely is something that as much as I think every other sport in North America right now is scrambling to figure out what their version of the Netflix series is. And I know the PGA Tours got one because there were Netflix cameras all over Augusta all for the Masters. They're trying to do wait. the same thing. Can't wait for that. But at the same time, it's also like, what are the cross-platform, you know, transmedia opportunities that these other sports have to continue to, to grow their fan bases. The, I, I brought it up though for one other reason. There was another awesome radio call that I wanted to highlight. So you you mentioned the, the, you were sort of talking about the radio call with, with uh, George Russell and, and I kind of had brought it up too about how he had to wait for that position because they were worried about it. The other really, really interesting one was the argument that happened over the last four or five laps between Charles Leclerc and his engineer about how insistent Charles was on trying to get an additional fastest lap time done before the end of the race. He recognized how much space he had before he started hitting blue flag cars to lap, and he wanted to get another chance to get that extra point right so again for new fans if you are the fastest lap car for the for the race and you're in the points so in the top 10 you get an additional point um and when you think about how close last year was between its two challengers i think Hi. every driver is thinking every point matters mm-hmm. and he knew he wasn't going to be threatened for the for the win so at that point he just wanted it the funny thing was he already had it and there was yeah. this sort of like yeah. why would you gamble and risk it but he knew that somebody lower down might try to steal it from him. And that was just really interesting to hear the argument because the engineer definitely did not want him to take that risk, but he was very adamant on it. And eventually he did, he did do one more lap and that ended up being the fastest of the race. Well, also let's talk about pit stops for a second, because I do want to highlight a driver that I was very impressed with this weekend who I mentioned earlier and Alex Albon with Williams uh, finished in qualifying. He had to go last 20th, place behind even Latifi who crashed because uh, they did not get a fuel sample in. He finished 10th and, and he was seventh for a lot of that race, including up to the last lap where he then had to take his, cause you do have to take uh, two sets of tires in, in a race. Um, sometimes is it sometimes three? I think, is there a race where you have to do three? I think it may, no, think yeah, it may, de- it may, de- it de- may be determined the race. by what the Yeah, the race depends is. on the race. So he did the whole race on hard tires, 57 out of the 58 laps. He was seventh place in a great spot, just cruising in a Williams car. And then he had to take, uh, he had to go into the pit on the last lap just to, for it was a mandatory pit stop. Yeah. Um, and it like Alex Albon, it deserves to be an F1. This was the race that oh, yeah. you looked at and you said, he is a driver. This guy is a driver in F1. He is no longer the butt of any joke from the year before that he belongs here. For sure. And, and it is interesting strategically because it, I think that they were playing a couple angles. One, they were really hoping for a late um, yeah. 
like a late uh, safety car. They got a virtual safety car, but it wasn't enough timing wise for him to make that gamble. They were really hoping for a true safety car. And had that happened, he probably would have finished seventh or maybe even higher because he would have been on the, on a medium tire with a couple laps to go and been able to really push for it. So it was a very big gamble. But again, when you start last uh, in a Grand Prix, you're willing to take some risks. The other driver who made a very similar um, really late, late push um, was Fernando Alonso, who I think again went on his hard tires almost all the way through the race too. Um, But what was crazy about Alonso is going back to qualifying another firework there. Like Alonso was on a... um, would have been on a provisional pole lap in quality three. It would have been his first pole in 15 or something plus years. He was, if you look at the timing charts and even in the, even watching it live, like he was green and then he was purple in sector two. He was the fastest car out there. And unfortunately he had a, like a hydraulic or a pneumatic failure coming into, to I think turn 11 or turn 12. And he literally just could not change gears was stuck in fourth gear. He had way too much pace and he ended up in the gravel and in the wall, but it was one of those situations where, you know, terrible luck, terrible misfortune, but what an exciting thing to see. Then you get him into the race and he's classical like Fernando Alonso again. He, like Lewis Hamilton, is one of those guys you just cannot bet against. The wily old veterans in these sports, they are there at that age for a reason. It mm-hmm. is not because it's a money. young man's it sport. It is all because they still can drive those cars. And he is Absolutely. phenomenal. And it was just exciting to see him get close again. Obviously, not the result he wanted, um, but don't sleep on him. And, 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 and frankly, don't sleep on his teammate either because um, Ocon had a great result too. Alpine is a, is a, is a real dark horse this season for one of those teams who is going to sneak up there and steal a lot of points from the big guys. And uh, as they did last year, but I think they're going to be even better as they figure out this new, this new car set up too. And if we're talking, if we're talking about veterans, let's throw in Botas. That's who I was just going to mention. Brand like a, a new Alfa Romeo car, which I said, like an idiot in the first podcast of the year that Alfa Romeo is going to finish last place this year. I am wrong. I am 100% wrong. They know what's going on. Botas is the guy that they needed to have in that car. And uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy for him. He fin- awesome. So he finished eighth in this last race, sixth in the first race of the season. Uh, Alfa Romeo is just jumping for joy for having gotten this guy. Yeah. Yeah. One, and also, one, like, like, look at McLaren. Like, like, yeah. look at your team. They're, oh, they're well, I was also wrong, right Tyler. I was also wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they had a horrible, a horrible first race. Yeah. They couldn't have had a worse first race in in F one. And to be in fourth right now, kind of just like, like quietly. I think we figured this thing out. Yeah, um, let's knock on wood. Yeah, week. exactly. Yeah, like that, that is a. a um, a testament to the team that they have working on that engine and the tires and the fuel systems, <laughs> everybody. Except and I think it also speaks to the, the, the new found competition that's in this. Uh, Agreed. You know, the additions, the, the changes that were made with the cars, but also the, you know, some of the tracks that we haven't seen and no, oh, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, Jordan, any of the final thoughts here? We are leaving this race and going to get talking about the next one. Yeah, I think, the one, the one thing you can't um, neglect to just spend a, a brief moment on is, you know, we've talked a lot about guys having a lot of sort of bad luck, but as bad as the qualifying was for Alonzo, as bizarre and as terrible as the qualifying was for both of the Canadian drivers and as unfortunate as, you know, some late pit stop 
missed opportunities were for like Lewis and, and guys like that. Obviously, bad result for Max Verstappen. But the worst day, the worst weekend of all has to go to Carlos Sainz. Like you are in the yeah. fastest car all weekend too. Uh, you know, if it's if it's 1A and 1B, you're in 1B. And that car is so much better than he has had the opportunity yet to drive it. And that's what we're also, I think, seeing with some of these new regulations with some of these new cars is certain drivers, even on certain teams, are sort of adapting to them faster. Carlos is struggling. And, and that's unfortunate because obviously he had a pretty good year last year for Ferrari, even in a bad car. You know, he was competing with his own teammate really, really well and pushing them. But he is just not quite figured it out. And I don't know if it's because these cars are a little bit more sort of oversteery and he's not quite comfortable. I'm not quite sure what it is, but that track just just must have been giving him nightmares um, all through Friday after some bad sessions practicing and then all after qualifying where he obviously got just the most misfortune timing wise he was on a great flying lap probably would have put him in like third or fourth on the grid but his time was canceled because of the red flag caused by Alonzo's crash he didn't get across the line in time so they that that lap didn't count and then with the time left at the end of it he just couldn't get the pace and the tire temperature up to get a, a good enough lap in he i think qualified like ninth or tenth and then literally six or seven corners into the grand prix founds himself just out of control didn't get a good you know um sort of line going into one of the corners caught a curb caught a hell of a lot of grass mowed some grass and ended up in the gravel didn't didn't even like total the car literally the car probably would have been drivable had it not been buried in three inches of gravel and he just couldn't get it unstuck and that was his night and that was like i can't imagine the level of frustration on a guy who was hoping uh having now seen how great charles has done that he would at least get a win in the first couple races here the guy has not won a grand prix yet and here he he didn't finish so i feel for him uh, he's going to, he'll bounce back and he's obviously got the best machine to do it with as they, as they go off to, to Italy, but tough, tough break for Car- Carlos side. Yeah, it was a bad weekend for him all together. And, and hopefully it's just one of those things where we just don't talk about it ever again. And he's back to where he is because you can't, you can't be in that car and have that bad of a weekend when your teammate is having that great of a weekend. Yeah. Right on. Well, let's leave the Melbourne Grand Prix there. The Australian Grand Prix. This week's episode is brought to us by Ellipses Thinking. Ellipses Thinking is the newest podcast from the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Host Greg Dowler-Coltman shares his conversations with people actively engaged in their own creative adventures, those who identify as artists, and those who choose to experience life through an artistic lens. They shed light on relationships that shape and inspire us as we meet the challenges, discoveries, and learnings we make when we courageously invite our creative spirit forth. The first two episodes of Ellipses Thinking drop this Friday, March 11th. You can subscribe now or follow anywhere you get your podcasts. So we've got another handful of questions for folks who are new to F1. Uh, Tyler, I understand you've got uh, a few questions you want to you throw out here. Yeah, I had a couple of fans reach out and uh, ask a couple of questions, which I actually thought were very uh, interesting and wanted to address them on air here. And the first one of those is it's I thought it was goofy when I first heard it. And I was like, that's a weird question. Like, you're just looking for an argument. But uh, it, it brings a good point. And Jordan, I think you have some facts on this is what happens when a driver goes into the wrong pit stop and kind of waits, waits to have 
their 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 box their pitch change and it's like it it it's not out of the ordinary like guys switch teams all the time so if they're with the current team like george russell just went to mercedes so if he stops in the williams pit is there a penalty for the driver is there a penalty for the team what happens if he, he goes into the wrong pit box um during a race uh, yeah it is a, it's a great question it's a it, it's kind of a funny question because it it, it has actually happened a couple times. Um, and it, it's I've happened never to, seen this happen. Well, it hasn't happened in a little, actually, that's not true. It happened two years ago. Um, it, it, it most frequently happens. So yes, it can happen first. Let me just clarify a few things. No, there is no penalty for it. No, the other team will not just put some tires on their car. Um, when it happens, it, it, all it really does is cost that driver precious seconds because they then have to pull forward out of that back into the pit lane. And let's hope they didn't miss their own, pit box right in which case they would have to rejoin the race and come back around because you can't reverse in the pit lane um but usually what has happened is that a driver has left a team and gone to a new team basically lewis hamilton has done this once and sebastian vettel has done this once lewis hamilton did it at the 2013 yeah. malaysian grand prix the yes. first year after he had after he had left mclaren he pulled into the mclaren pit box and obviously immediately on the radio that like Lewis you're in the wrong pit box and so he pulled forward into the Mercedes one the other one though that was Sebastian Vettel his first year driving for um Aston Martin he pulled into the Ferrari one um because again he was a previous driver for Ferrari so it has happened before it's sort of just a silly incident when it happens I, I suppose it would be no different than like an NHL player who's just been traded playing their first game at their old arena and accidentally trying to make a line change into the yeah. wrong box which has uh, happened yeah exactly so it's it's more of more more <laughs> one of those sort of mistakes where it's just a bit embarrassing more than anything but uh certainly certainly you not feel like very if common if you were hated enough, which I don't think would ever happen is, do you think those guys could jack you up and just like leave you there? I suppose they could, <laughs> um, but I'm sure that there would be some they're gonna need, consequences. For they're going to need to help their, their cars down the race. Maybe they can yeah. hold them for a little bit. That's right. Yeah. Cause everyone does try to pit within those like five to six laps based on their, their, uh, um, game plan, but <laughs> it was, yeah, okay, yeah, Lewis. Uh, sorry, sir, we're just gonna leave you up on our on our uh, our pit here. The reason it sort of happens, I was trying to explain this a second ago, but I didn't do a very good job of it. Is that the the previous team that the previous the pit stops are or the pit boxes are laid out um, organizationally from. Yeah based on your constructors finishing the previous season. So obviously Mercedes is the very first pit box. When you come into the pits, they have the advantage of not having to drive all the way down the pits and be interfered with, with other teams. They get to get in first and get out first. Uh, mm -hmm. And then so far down the line, there are perks to finishing fifth instead of sixth or finishing third instead of fourth, where you are getting sort of these like home ice advantage or home field advantage. There's little perks mm. that come up with obviously the money that comes into it, but too. So when you think about like Williams, who would have been the lowest ranked um, constructor last year, along with Haas, they will have the longest pit lane drive just to get to their pit box. And obviously that, that, you know, can become a big factor. So um, that's why in Lewis's case, the year, I believe that he moved to Mercedes was before they had um, won the championship. So he McLaren's box was before that, which kind of was part of the silliness of it anyway. Right. Well, and then, so the second question was, um, and also I think this is a great question because there's a lot of fanfare around Monaco um, and the race in Monaco and how prestigious it is. And 
how like everybody who is anybody comes to this race. But as a fan, like for me, I don't necessarily think it's that great of a race. It's a pretty boring one usually that's happened over the last few years. And so um, what makes a good track? Uh, and and Monaco is a great example for that. So like what, what in your mind makes a good F1 track? Well, I do think that that is very subjective because we have several types of F1 tracks, right? So we've already seen now yes. a couple different um, tracks this year. Um, we have what we would call street circuits. That would include Monaco, where literally um, the circuit is built on like a road circuit. It's built on um, the streets of a, of a city. So Monaco, all of those are functional roads the rest of the year round. And then for one week every year, it's converted into a Formula One track. Um, the track we just saw in Australia is the same. So that's a sort of a casual country road around a, a, a national park there in Melbourne all the rest of the time. I don't know if you noticed, there were a couple sections um, in some of those DRS zones where if you looked to the left, there was actually a bike lane painted on, huh. uh, on the ground I did, kind of I did funny when you've got, said, yeah. when you've got these cars ripping through so you have tracks like that <laughs> you have what we would call proper circuits one of the more traditional surf circuits so that includes things like um silverstone or monza where um you've got tracks that were built specifically for these auto races. racing um and they're that's their only function um but so that's why i guess i would say it is very subjective different drivers and different fans like different things for very different reasons. Monaco is a very difficult course to pass on because it's incredibly narrow, but yes. it's a great track. If you're a driver or a fan who enjoys um, qualifying and cars <laughs> driving to the limit. And right? I was just going to say that. I was just well, saying that's, that's a, the race is one in qualifying. hundred percent. Yeah. The race is one in qualifying. And to me, I don't necessarily think that that is a, um, a very fan friendly way of uh, a formula one weekend is that you I, want qualifying to be exciting, but it can't outshine the race. Yeah. And in Monaco, it's two, the turns are, the turns are cool and the turns are like, are, are interesting and different and the street race. And they go under that one area, which is like through like a tunnel, tunnel which is yeah. awesome, but it's not very passable and it's very skinny and I, I preferably like my favorite race is Monza um, because it's over the last three years has been a different winner every single time. And that winner has not necessarily been the, um, the leader in the point standings. So Gasly won and uh, Ricardo won, I think last year at Monza. Mm -hmm. So it's always someone else. And it's what it is for me, which makes it a great race is that there is uh, a straightaway followed by like a chicane or a slow corner followed by like a DRS zone. And especially this year is with the new rules and the new um, uh, cars setups is that if you have a straightaway, you could pass somebody, but you don't necessarily want to into that slow corner to get ahead of them, knowing that they're going to have DRS behind you. And we've seen it in the first two races Whereas like, if you, if you, you, sure, you can pass me now, but as soon as we get past this slow corner, I'm getting DRS and I'm coming right behind you. Mm -hmm. So it's, to me, it's, it's a straightaway, a speed straightaway with a slow corner or a bunch of um, like a couple fast corners followed by one slow corner and then a straightaway, a, an area where it has to be a differentiation in your speed and driving. Cause every car 
um, not necessarily the drivers, but Red Bull is great in straights, but they're not right now. They are not good at turning corners at all, but they're the fastest car on straights. Whereas Ferrari has everything figured out and Mercedes is good at turns, but they're garbage in the straights. So there's three setups that like three or four setups that a car can have. So if, as long as you get that mix within a track, that to me is what makes it the most interesting layout that you can have. Um, and unfortunately, Monaco, when I first started watching Formula One, I was like, oh, Monaco is awesome. Like all the fanfare behind Monaco, all the boats. And then you watch the race and you're like, I, this is the whole, the worst this race awful. ever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, this is and garbage. so let me just, let me just counter to be fair. Yeah, of course. I yeah. do think that that's allowed right. here. That is allowed no, no, here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I do think that you're <laughs> right that everything you said there, I, I, I do think as a fan, I agree with uh, all of those pieces are there. Uh, we talked as I was trying to explain these different things, you know, each one of these styles of track, whether it's a street track, whether it's a night race on a street track versus a day race on a street track, whether it's a traditional track where you've got like, like, um, you know, in France or even in Austin, you've got these tracks with huge runoff areas as compared to Monaco, where literally if you go off, you are in a barrier because that is all that is there. Though all of those factors, I think, play completely differently for different drivers. And that's what does make Formula One so exciting is that week to week, track to track, the conditions are different. The situations are different. No two tracks are the same. This isn't NASCAR where you're literally just taking left turns all day and it's a whole different strategic ball game about drafting. This is about making every single corner count. Every single line is critical, all of those things. And they're different track to track they different drivers are better at specific things that's what is great about formula one um and when you look at you know the greatest drivers of all time obviously lewis hamilton is up there in terms of just race wins he's the greatest of all time but a lot of people would also tell you that like if you go back some of the greatest drivers the guys like art and senna the guys like alan prost um those drivers we're in a generation where like Monaco became as iconic as it is because of how hard it is to, mm-hmm. to win on and to just compete on. And that is part of it. You know, if every race was like Monaco formula one would be in really bad shape because you're right. It's, yeah. it, it can be very pedestrian and very straightforward, yeah. but the fact that one or two races a year have this different kind of competitive factor to it. Um, this difficult, this difficulty level that's kind of in a different, um, uh, difficult in a different way than the other ones, I think is just really exciting. And I think that that's part of the prestige of Monaco. Winning at Monaco is hard because you have to have a great weekend start to finish. You've got to qualify great. Um, you have to be in the top couple positions unless there's a huge crash, which we've also seen guys win Monaco from behind after a, a massive pile up in front of them. But guys like Graham Hill, um, Senna, who I believe still holds the record for most wins there. Uh, it was his favorite track and he's considered by many to be, you know, in the top three greatest drivers of all time. That speaks to his skill level as a driver that he was able to dominate Monaco, um, to that level. And, um, but yeah, guys like, you know, if you look at guys like, uh, Lewis Hamilton, for example, Lewis Hamilton's, uh, won a lot of races um not the best driver when it comes to monaco he struggled there um and yet he's winning championships so yeah it's kind of just part of the part of the factor but i think it's considered i i i do think it's one of those prestige things because you think of like the indianapolis 500 i don't know like the 24 hours of le mans and 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 those kind of things like the circuit of monaco is just it's an icon you know what i mean and in some ways 
that's really the only reason it's there. Even if it's just a parade of formula one cars every year, it's kind of just one of those special events that, that gets to be what it is. Um, yep. And it will, probably will never really uh, be, be changed too much. Do you know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. And also I do want to say, uh, oh, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, Braden, you kind of took a little shit on NASCAR and <laughs> I want to say to our listeners, if like, do not, count out nascar as a great racing spectacle it is completely different what? and i know you if what? you watch it if you watch it and you understand it it is yeah exciting for a completely different type well you have to drive. try to stay awake first no you don't that is not no you know so what? you can you can it enjoy it while you're lunch. asleep is that what you're saying Tyler? okay there's so. a completely different style of how would you like to see f1 cars on a nascar track that's in have that's we have. Racing. We've also seen that though, because oh. Formula One used to race at the Indianapolis 500 yeah. racetrack. But those cars um, don't, they don't draft. They don't, they don't yeah. follow each other the same yeah. way that NASCARs do. NASCAR cars are bulky. They're huge yeah. as shit. And it is not no, a team same. sport, but you cannot pass anyone unless you have five guys behind you that you have to kind of like blindly trust and work just to pass one car. Guys you're competing with. Yeah, it's it's a completely different style so, of racing and it's wild. I just want to and I'm going to I'm going to back you up for a second Tyler because I I will admit my own ignorance having never really followed NASCAR whatsoever, having fallen in love now with Formula 1. And obviously, yeah. you know, I am not a lifelong um, racing fan. This is something that I came to later as a sports fan partly because of Netflix. Braden, I'm going to offer you this and I'm going to offer it to all of our fans out there. There is another great Netflix series called Race Bubba Wallace. Yes. yes. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. I was going to say. Go and watch it. It will yes. teach you about NASCAR in a whole different perspective. It is the story of Bubba Wallace, who is the only black driver right now in NASCAR. He drives for Michael Jordan's NASCAR team. It is a great structure, very different than Drive to Survive because it takes place both as sort of a documentary looking backwards while following him through, a, a, a I think, like the 2020 or 2021 yeah, season. 2020, season. And all of the racism and all of the drama that follows him as the only full-time black driver in, in NASCAR car obviously for those who don't know you know he 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 came out at the time uh after following the george floyd murder as a you know a very vocal critic of a lot of nascar's history he came out saying that the confederate flag needed to go away and eventually nascar um sort of finally came around to banning the confederate flag as a result of his uh, his sort of um pushback he came out mm. to the national anthem at a nascar event in the deep south wearing a black lives matter t-shirt which at the time was incredibly controversial as the only black driver during the same season a noose was found hung in in his garage uh as clearly a symbol of hatred from some other person that was never uh found out to be, like no one figured out who, who who had hung it there but clearly a, a very racist and very serious statement made against bubba wallace and now as i say he's driving for the only black owner in nascar and michael jordan it's a great story and it will show you how hard nascar is very different completely not to different. be compared but completely different that's my pitch. I have no vested interest in it other than the fact that I enjoyed it. <laughs> and like Drive to Survive, these kind of shows open windows to new experiences and new sports. I'm not following NASCAR, but I definitely respect it more than I did before. I'll, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. 
And like any sport is once you understand it a bit more, then you that's when you learn to love it. Okay, we've got another two-week hiatus here before our next race in, uh, at Imola, otherwise known as the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. I think I did a little good. better this year. I'm probably still saying it wrong. It's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be April 24th. The race uh, is on a Sunday, April 24th, 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, 6, p- uh, 6 a.m. Pacific Time. We've got, obviously, qualifying on the Saturday uh, and, uh, and practices days leading up. Guys, what, uh, what should we be kind of expecting? What are some of the stories here going, in, uh, going into this race in Italy? Well, um, it's one of our longest races uh, just mm-hmm. because of the length of the circuit. So it's a 63-lap race, so a few more laps than we saw this last weekend. Um, it's a very exciting and fast track. It is Ferrari's home track. So that is another factor here that is going to be really exciting is with this great start that Ferrari is off to, um, to start the season, obviously coming home to Italy as the first European race on the calendar. Um, the track is literally called the Autodrome Enzio Di Dino Ferrari. It is their home track. They will have so much red and uh, yellow in the crowd. Uh, you can anticipate a very, very loud Italian crowd. Very excited to have them there. Um, it's, a, it's a great track with lots of unique little challenges, some good straightaways, some good top speed. Um, some tricky corners and it's one of those tracks that when you look back at like last year for example um it was one of those races where we saw a lot of drama between max and lewis um they finished one two lando norris got a podium here last year and charles leclerc had one of his best outings in the ferrari as both ferraris finished fourth and fifth last year and that was in their much less competitive cars so expect ferrari to be the favorite but Lando Norris likes this track, obviously. Um, and that's another great place when you think about how well um, McLaren did this week. And then, you know, I think overall coming to Europe is going to be interesting because now teams are going to start to make some of their early season developmental changes. And this, this race specifically has been scheduled as Ferrari's first major upgrade to its car. Um, so expect them to have a little bit of a different, like, you never know if it's going to work out or not, but both Ferrari and Alfa Tori have scheduled. This is Imola as their big first upgrades to their uh, major upgrades to their car. So I, I specifically think that, or, or I predict, um, I think Ferrari will finish one, two, mm-hmm. but I also, you can't count. I mean, you, as much as I like hate this guy, Verstappen is on the path to be one of the greats. And you can never count them out in a race, especially one who's angry after he's only had one finish in the last three races. Um, But I feel like this is going to be a banner day for Ferrari and another stepping stone for Charlotte Claire. Yeah. I want to follow up with Stan Verstappen is going to come back with guns a blazing, trying Mm -hmm. to get back into some meaningful points again. Fantastic. Again, the, the race is two weeks from now. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll, we'll catch you all in two weeks to talk about everything that happened at Imola. Uh, this has been the Pit Stop Podcast, presentation of Ordinary Podcasting Network. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for listening. Pit Stop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening.
The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.